Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by Metro columnist Gilbert Garcia to talk about the May 24th runoff elections. Welcome to the show, Gilbert. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Luis. So let's get started with this. Uh, We're not going to have Puro Politics this Monday. We're going to move it to Wednesday to after the election. So I thought we'd have a little discussion on the runoff elections and just a little primer for people to get to get ready. Yeah, well, as we're recording this uh, and we're recording this on on Friday, the the May 20th, and this is the last day of early voting. So there's a lot of activity. And I just got back from shirts where U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders was uh, there with um, congressional candidate Jessica Cisneros, and they were meeting some supporters, taking some pictures uh, in anticipation of a big rally they're going to have on the east side tonight. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the, the the stakes are really big. We can talk about that congressional race in a minute. But I think when we look at the big races that are affecting the San Antonio area, I think the one that that I think it stands out because it affects the whole county is the Democratic runoff for Bear County Judge. And, you know, we've had uh, more than 20 years with Nelson Wolf in that position. We've, uh, there are probably many people who live in this area who've never known another county judge other than Nelson Wolf. And this is going to be an open, this is an open seat. Uh, history would suggest that the Democratic nominee will have an edge because we're a Democratic county, but a lot of people think it's going to be a good Republican year. So it could be, it could be comp- competitive in November. But the Democratic race is uh, between uh, former Judge Peter Sakai, had 26 years uh, as a district court judge, children's court judge, and State Representative Ina Mijares, who's served in the legislature for seven years now. And so you got two people with pretty formidable resumes. And it had been a pretty, uh, fairly positive campaign, but it's gotten testy in the final days, as often happens. The Mijares camp has sent out various mailers. A couple of them have been, uh, have been, you know, pretty tough on, on Sakai. I think the, the big one is one, uh, that they, that went out this week where they brought up the 2019, uh, the 2019, uh, temporary injunction that he issued, which basically, uh, blocked paid sick leave, the paid sick leave ordinance in San Antonio from going into effect. And, uh, that, uh, has I was kind of wondering with us is we going to come up in the election campaign and and this mailer they the Minhadis uh, team has put out has suggested that Peter Sakai betrayed the workers of San Antonio and then says you know we all the taxpayers paid for his paid sick leave all these years and you know and then he he didn't come through for, for people so and of course he he says he was just looking at this in terms of the law there were a lot of questions about whether the the ordinance was constitutional. Similar ordinances in Dallas and Austin also got shot down by the courts, but uh, that has really come up, and things have gotten things have gotten a little uh, uh, testy between those two sides. A little contentious, absolutely. Uh, if just for the listener, uh, back in March 29th, we had Peter Sakai on Puto Politics. I will be linking. I'm, I'm going to be mentioning all the times we had Puto, uh, Puto Politics guests that are involved in these Great. runoffs. 
So just uh, be sure to check out the description. I'll have links to all those all those uh, interviews. Um, the judge, the Bear County judge race is going to be one of the most watched races, I think. Trish DeBerry is a very, very strong Republican candidate. So I, I, That's right. I, I mean, I completely agree. With you. It's going to be one to watch. Yeah. I wanted to uh, circle back. And um, what I'm using right now for reference is the the Express News Voters Guide, which I recommend everyone go check out. Also, will be linked in the description. Uh, I'm at the top of the page. This is this is also a big one. Uh, the the race for Attorney General. I mean, let's talk about Ken Paxton, who's I mean, who's been, who was indicted back in 2015 on securities fraud uh, securities fraud charges, and he's like the subject of an FBI investigation. It's it's an amazing thing that he has been. You know, he he took office at the beginning of 2015, and he spent almost the entirety of his tenure as attorney general under indictment. And which, I mean, I think there's a whole the story to be told about, uh, you know, how slow the legal process has moved. And it's, you know, it's agonizingly slow. Um, and also, you know, he's had, there have been uh, whistleblowers, former employees who have who've thrown mm-hmm. out, you know, charges of ethics violations there. So, you know, he, there's been a lot of controversy. He is liked by many people in the Republican base because he has been a, a warrior for the Donald Trump cause. He, he fought, yes. uh, you know, to, uh, to, uh, overturn the election results in 2020, uh, and was, you know, really championing the, uh, the idea that there had been, uh, you know, voter fraud and the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And, and also, you know, he's, he's fought against the affordable care act and various things. So he, uh, you know, there are a lot of people in the base who like him just because he is just all out um, for that, you know, for in, in, as far as culture war battles and stuff, he's, you, you know, he's always going to be there. Um, now, George P. Bush is an interest, is interesting case because he's obviously part of a political dynasty and one that's that pro- we could probably say is kind of fading at this point. You know, his dad, uh, Jeb Bush, the former governor of Florida, uh, did not do well in the 2016 uh presidential race. Um, this, I think George P. Bush in some ways, um, is having to almost answer or apologize for his family. Whereas at one time this, that, that the family name was kind of a tick, a ticket to success. There are now people who, um, who associate, uh, the, the Bush family with not being sufficiently, yeah, with not being sufficiently conservative or, or a brand of Republicanism that's not in fashion anymore. So, I mean, he, he tried very hard to get Trump's endorsement and to, um, and I think he's, he's tried to kind of, um, cast himself as somebody in the Trump mold, but Trump did end up endorsing Ken Paxton. I, I have to think Ken Paxton is the big favorite in this thing. One thing that's that an interesting development that we saw this week is that we saw, uh, U.S. Senator John Cornyn come out and he hadn't, I don't recall him saying anything of significance on this race up until this week, but uh, he uh, was quoted saying that it was an embarrassment having Ken Paxton uh, as attorney general, given all the the ethics questions and the and the fact that he's been under indictment for so long. And I think that it was clear that he was wanting to put his, his finger on the scale there a little bit on behalf of George P. Bush. Um, I have to doubt that it's gonna it's gonna have enough of an effect to um, you know to to make a difference in this race, but you do see a little bit of that dynamic playing out. Yeah, it's hard to see 
I mean, it's it's baffling to see Ken Paxton's success. I, I recently had an episode of In Depth with Sig Christensen where we talked about the about a lot of service members who were refusing to take the vaccine. And of course, Greg Abbott and Ken Paxton were at the top of the list of people saying, it's okay, you don't have to, you, you don't have to follow those orders uh, in the military. And I think Sig interviewed like an unprecedented 13 former generals who were all like, no, you, this, the military needs to follow orders. It's just baffling. I, what, well, I think what, what Ken Paxton is maybe one of the most extreme examples of what we see. It's not a uniquely Texas thing, but it's extreme in Texas in that we have, a, a state that is dominated by one party for a long time it was dominated by the Democratic Party, but it's been dominated by the Republican Party for, uh, you know, roughly, you know, 25 years now. And when a, a state is dominated by one party like that, it all comes down to the primaries. You don't there hasn't been any fear or concern among uh, Republicans uh, when it comes to winning general elections. And so the, the ticket to success is to be as hardcore, um, in terms of your, your fighting for, for culture war, um, causes mm-hmm. and, and to just to do, to go as, as hard right as you can. And Ken Paxton has done that. I mean, he's got a lot of, a lot of issues, but he, he has been just this unabashed, you know, uh, spokesperson for the, for this ultra right uh, position. And he, it, it, it has worked. I mean, one of the things that fascinates me about, about politics, I, I look at the case of, of Chip Roy, who's a, a congressman who, uh, mm-hmm. whose district, uh, uh, you know, is, is in, uh, parts of, as part of San Antonio. And it's, you know, the, the thing that's, that's, uh, that's interesting is that when he ran for, uh, for Congress, um, the first time he had a close race, it was 2018 and it was a close race. He, um, he was pretty civil in his messaging there. He had a tough democratic opponent who was kind of a moderate and he was, he was pretty civil. And, uh, now, you know, he, 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 now that he's in there, he's pretty solid. And now his district has been, has been, uh, gerrymandered somewhat. Um, you see a different tone from him. And so, I, I mean, I think that's, that's one of the things that comes out. Um, and uh, Ken Paxton is somebody who, you know, obviously is, is his focus is all about winning the primary. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go uh, scroll down to the lieutenant governor race, which is also going to be a good one. Um, we have Mike Collier going up against Michelle Beckley. We've had Mike Collier on the show on Puto Politics. But, uh, again, yeah. I'll link that in the in the description. And they're going to go uh, try to take on uh, Dan Patrick. Yeah. Um, you know, Mike Collier, I think maybe a, a year ago, uh, I think there was maybe a feeling that, you know, he, he ran a, uh, a pretty close race the last time around against Dan Patrick. And I think there was a lot of optimism. I mean, I think now with the, the sense that maybe it's going to be a good Republican year, um, it's, it, it might be more challenging. Um, but you know, he hasn't had, as you said, he hasn't had an easy time just winning the, the, the primary there. And, um, he is, he is, I think someone who, um, he has built up some, uh, uh, some loyalty in the party. I think when a few months ago mm-hmm. you had Matthew Dowd, who was a big name, uh, who is somebody who had, who had been, had worked for George W. Bush. He had also, you know, worked for some Democrats. He'd been a, a really prominent voice in the media and, uh, he got in the race. And, uh, I think 
from everything I heard, I think that the re, he he dropped out pretty fast, and the the sense was that a lot of the people in the party organization, I mean, from the leaders and you know at, at the state Democratic Party to you know, local Democratic officials, were very loyal to Mike Collier and did not welcome Matthew oh, wow. down in the race, and so. Um, I think Mike, Mike Collier does have a lot of, uh, has built some loyalty because he's been out there, you know, he's been out there battling going back uh, several years now. Um, so, um, you know, I tend to think he's, he's built a lot of as well. Yeah. I, 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 if I had to bet, I, I would think that he, he has a good chance to win this thing. Uh, you know, the November race is, is a different, you know, matter and that's going to be a little tough. Also, well, this race also gave me one of my favorite moments on poodle politics. Not specifically this race specifically, but Lyle Larson came on the show. And just, I remember recording and my jaw just dropped when he had that quote about Dan Patrick. He goes, the lieutenant governor is just a jerk. He's not a good man. I've had meetings face to face. He's soulless. You look into his eyes and there's nothing there. He's got a lot of hostility. He's a control freak. He's got a lot of things you don't want in leadership. I remember hearing that, that was the first time I'd heard something like that. Yeah. And to hear a, a state representative, of course, Lyle Larson has, has been, had become disenchanted with, with the Republican party. He's a life, lifelong Dem, a Republican, but he's, he, he had been, he'd become frustrated. And I think Patrick was the person who really had come to symbolize everything he had he'd come to dislike about, about his own party. And, you know, I'll tell you what, what he said, um, uh, and Lyle Larson has always been remarkably candid, but uh, I, I think there are other people in the Republican Party who privately might say something pretty close to that. But what was unusual is that Lyle Larson um, just came out and said it. And of course, a few months after we had him on the podcast, he announced he wasn't going to run for another term, and to which he probably he probably had some sense even when he was on our podcast that um, this might be it for him because I think he was he was really kind of a, he'd, he'd had his fill <laughs> of the legislature, at least for the time being. All right. And there's plenty of races to talk about, uh, but we're going to focus right now on, on the District 28 race. But uh, yeah, tell us about District 28. I know you just talked to Jessica Cisneros and you were, you mentioned the Bernie Sanders event. Well, uh, this is the, uh, a congressional race that's getting national attention. And there on Tuesday night, there's going to be a lot of national coverage of this because in some ways it symbolizes so much uh, of what's going on within the Democratic Party. I mean, we've seen in recent years the emergence of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and members of, of the so-called squad, which is a group of young progressive Democrats in Congress. Jessica Cisneros would be, if she gets elected, uh, she's 28, she's an immigration attorney from Laredo. She would, I think, instantly join the squad. She's got the support of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who came to campaign for her a few months ago. Elizabeth Warren has been been here. Bernie Sanders is now here. Um, so she, uh, you, on the other hand, you've got Henry Cuellar, a nine-term congressman, also from Laredo, who uh, has uh, been with his party on some, on some big issues, uh, the Affordable Care Act in 2010, um, the bipartisan infrastructure bill that uh, passed a few months ago, but he has, he has been pretty hawkish when it comes to border issues. More has probably been more in line with many Republicans on, than Democrats on that. He is the only uh, anti-choice Democrat in the U S house. Uh, and which is always a big issue, but it's particularly critical now because we've gotten word that the Supreme Court is, seems to be on the verge of overturning 
1973 Roe v. Wade um, decision, which legalized abortion in the country. So that's an extremely sensitive issue in the party right now. And to have someone um, in the U.S. House who is anti-choice, um, I think there are many, it rankles many people in the party. So um, that's what, that's the, that's where the, what's happening there. And, and of course, the interesting thing is that a lot the party leadership, you know, Nancy Pelosi and, and the, some of the other leaders in the, the uh, the Democratic caucus in the House are supporting Cuellar because this is somebody they know. This is somebody who's maybe helped them, you know, pass legislation and in some cases maybe bring a few Republicans over to their side. And so they they're backing him, uh, which I think is is upsetting to a lot of, you know, younger progressives who think that he isn't really a true Democrat. Um, so there's a lot of money, uh, you know, being flying around a lot of high profile uh endorsements and campaign appearances on, on both sides. And, uh, this is going to be a, a really big, um, runoff. And I think that the, a couple of things too, uh, that I should mention, uh, are that, uh, the, the, the people who support queer on the democratic side, I think w- would argue that this district is not completely safe for Democrats, that there is a chance that, that, uh, that it could be stolen by a Republican and that queer as kind of a moderate, would have a better chance of holding the seat in November than, than uh, Jessica Cisneros. I mean, I think the argument has been from some queer people that, you know, we could lose that seat if she's the nominee. On the other hand, a few months ago, you had an FBI raid of Cuellar's home and campaign office. And we don't, we don't know what's going to happen with that. His lawyer has said, well, he's not the subject of that investigation. I think there is reason to question that. And we don't know in two months, three months, um, a, a shoe could drop and, we could have, if Henry Cuerra is the nominee, he could be facing some, some legal problems uh, as he goes into the November election. So the, the, I think both sides could make the argument that electing the other person is dangerous in terms of their, what could happen in November. No, I completely agree. This is going to be one to watch. And I mean, we'll find out soon enough what's going to happen there and we'll have Puro politics, uh, after the election to kind of recap everything. Uh, Gilbert, thank you so much for joining me on this today. Oh, glad to do it, Luis. Thank you.